And hello and you're very welcome along to another episode of the RT Rugby Podcast as we're knee-deep in the Autumn International Series. Ireland 1916 winners against South Africa at the weekend. Fiji coming up this Saturday at the Aviva Stadium. And also Munster against South Africa A down in Mus or not Musgrave Park, Porky Quave, most importantly, on, on Thursday evening. Bernard Jackman with us and Donal Lenehan's back as well. Donal, first pod of the new year. You're yeah, a bit, like, great you're a bit like Hugo Keenan. We're throwing you straight into the international mix. Exactly. You have, you have a full no, show in you. No warm-ups or anything, but uh, I'm ready to go. No bother. I needed inspiration. I got it in uh, the Aviva last Saturday. <laughs> and speaking of, I mentioned I mentioned Parky Quave there. Uh, I'll be heading down to it tomorrow evening. We'll talk about the match a little bit later on. What time should I be leaving to avoid the, the dreaded car traffic? Is sometime this evening preferable, is it? Uh, no, early in the morning. The tunnel will be our biggest problem, but don't worry, sure, everyone everyone of the matches from Cork, so it doesn't matter. They'll uh, they'll be down there early. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to that anyway, but we'll uh, we'll chat a bit more about it later on. Because we're gonna get straight in with Ireland, South Africa at the weekend. And Birch, we've had a few days to digest it all now. How many how many times at this stage have, have you rewatched it? My my social media feed has just been full of you thrown up. Small little clips and screen grabs from it over the last few days. Putting on five, six rewatches now. No, no, I, 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 fairness, I watched it live and I was like, "Geez, this is savage. Uh, this is the most physical game I've I've seen." Um, and it was really going to be a case of who could just stay going. Um, uh, would win us, and then I went home and what and watched it and confirmed it. And then I just did a quick look over the third time just to pick out some clips. But it was I thought it was fascinating, and and I was speaking to some people at half time. And they were like, oh, it's a crap match. And I was like, jeez, I actually don't... And I know six-all doesn't sound exciting, but I thought it was enthralling. I, I thought it was enthralling in terms of um, how cagey it was, game of cat and mouse, how physical it was, you know, how both teams defended under 22 when they needed to. Um, and I always hoped it would open up a little bit, and it did. And obviously then, you know, we got the score. I thought it was important we didn't let them get away from us. And then we got the lead because obviously with the bomb squad coming on, they, they tend to finish strong. So, yeah, it was a great test match. I mean, um, you know, the URC has been really good this year, to be fair. But for me, that was another level. And um, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And like you said, the, the physicality obviously jumped out straight away. But was there was there anything when you when you watched it the second time or when you went back and were picking out a couple of clips on the third goal? That were, were there any things that kind of caught you that you didn't really spot the first time around? No. No, well, I, I loved Ireland's like attempt to break down that rush, um, and it didn't always go perfectly. I mean, Sexton was was annoyed with himself for for two passes that stayed in the air too long. Um, the one actually that Mac Hansen ends up getting driven into the ground. I mean, if that sits down a little bit quicker, um, you know, there's potentially there's more on. I mean, what the what the box do is is they they get incredibly narrow, so they come flying in, but then they have this unbelievable scramble behind it. So um, it's actually very difficult to to make serious yards unless that pass gets up over the rush and down very quickly. And um, that's not easy. I do think, to be fair, that getting a taste of it at URC level um, has helped all of us. I think if we had gone into that match cold five years since played the Springboks, having not played the Sharks, the Stormers and the Bulls, even though it's not the same level of, of quality, it's different than how we, we had played normally in the URC. So I think that was a help to us. Um, I thought we were tactically very smart. I thought we defended incredibly well. Paul O'Connell, you know, and John Fogarty as, as in terms of set piece. I mean, that was the area. And that's the area that Razzie would be absolutely furious with 
because they thought they would dominate us and, and they didn't get any change out of us. Um, and the commitment from the players, the way they were organised to stop that mall um, was was really impressive. Look, we've got very good coaches and, you know, um, and, and they're two Irish lads, you know, O'Connell and Fogarty, who um, who are, are starting to make a real name for themselves, I think, in, in international rugby coaching. Yeah, and Dylan, like, I think that was, was that arguably the winning and losing of the game, like the way Ireland just handled that South African mall. And, and as much as South Africa probably won the majority of like the individual collisions around the pitch, it was in the, the, the real tight stuff, the mall and the scrum as well in the second half where Ireland not just held their own, but actually, actually had control of it. Yeah, look, I think the beauty from a coaching perspective of playing against South Africa is you know exactly what's coming against you. So therefore, in terms of your preparation, you know exactly what you have to do. Um, just before getting into the specifics, uh, I agree with Perch in terms of the quality of the match. Uh, I thought first half, as he said, it was cat and mouse, but it was real test rugby. Um, I thought the crowd were a bit flat, to be honest with you. If I have a criticism, I'd say that bloody Egypt and the, the Tanoi, that drives me bananas. Aviva, we, we don't need fellas putting on music when there's somebody down injured. We've got to engage the crowd. I thought that was awful, I have to say. I hope we get rid of it. Um, but you go back to the specifics of the game. Uh, I was at a, a pre-match lunch. I couldn't believe there was about 400 people there, but I'd say 200 and 300 were from South Africa. Mm. There was a massive South African presence. And to be fair, uh, 50% I was inquiring uh, had travelled up from South Africa. The others, obviously, huge South African base in London, uh, but also here in Ireland. So um, from that point of view, uh, I thought it it had the, the, the whole lead and, you know, walking down to the Aviva, going past Balls Bridge, you get that buzz that you don't often get in, in autumn internationals because obviously there's very few of the away supporters there. But South Africa definitely bring that. Um, onto the specifics of the game, I like the mall was always going to be the key tenet. Um, in fact, the first mall of the game, first lineup mall, I think was about four or five minutes in, and Ireland were penalised off it. So you felt, oh God, here we go. But um, you know the way they adapted. Uh, there was three or four in a row where they they just stopped uh, South Africa getting any momentum. I thought the way they handled it in terms of the variety, and you know you talk about players making decisions on the field. Uh, you know, there were times when we kept our troops on the ground. There was times when we looked to compete in the air. The one just before half time, um, you know, a five metre attacking lineup from South Africa's perspective, when James Ryan decided to get up and compete, like that was only five metres out. It's very unusual that you leave the ground unless you're reasonably confident. Now, I don't know whether he'd picked up some triggers or whether he kind of interpreted what the South African calls were, but he gambled that it was going to Etzebet at the front. Uh, he got a hand in. We scrambled it. And that was massive. In the context of getting to halftime without conceding an inch in that area was huge. And then to flip it within five or six minutes of the restart and get a mall try of our own. Like, now you're really getting into the heart of the Springboks. You're hitting them in an area where they'd expected to dominate you. Um, and their mall defence has been quite good all year. So, now, to be fair to Van der Fleer, how he managed to navigate his way without being thrown into touch because, you know, when you throw short, when you throw to the front of the line out, the opposition would always try and just manipulate you over the touchline. Um, look, he's he's an outstanding player. He's had an outstanding season, but like that is in the minute of 
you know, to have the awareness, to know where the try line is, to get his body so low, to keep his feet from not hitting the touchline was incredible. So, uh, like that for me was probably the moment of the game because you hit them where it, it hurt most. And in the end, the last quarter, we actually forced them to play a bit of rugby. Yeah. And it does... It does beg the question, these South Africans can play. And look, we could talk about the 10 debate and Willems and all that type of thing. But they can play. And you wonder why they don't rely on that more often. I think they had a better mix to their game early on. The, the first outing against, the, uh, against New Zealand in Ellis Park, I think it was. They played a fantastic mix of rugby and beat New Zealand well. Uh, I'm a bit surprised. Maybe come World Cup time, that's something we need to be aware of. But look, psychologically to go toe-to-toe with them up front and to come out better was huge. And, you know, we can... What significance does it have for the World Cup match? Very little, really. Mm. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the fact that the, the, the Irish forwards were so I, I thought outstanding on the day, that was the big plus for me. And, Bert, to, to go back on the, the James Ryan line-out seal that Donald was talking about there just before half-time, like that's, it's a huge moment if you think about it because, like, for the majority of the lineouts in that opening half, they weren't competing. They were leaving South Africa have it, and they were getting themselves set to try and you know sack them, you know get them all, you know, get get them down early before the mall was set or to to stop the mall. But it took a lot of took a lot of guts and a lot of balls to to try and go for that steal. But two three minutes before half time, five meters out from your own try line, because if South Africa win clean ball there and get their mall set, it's going to be next to impossible to stop at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think it's testament to to him, you know, having the the guts to make that call. But also, I I go back to O'Connell. I mean, he's obviously given them, you know, clear parameters or parameters around what they can do and what they should do. And I think the fact the box through to the front, you know, he he came kind of from behind and just got a hand. And and there wasn't, and and he had an unbelievable fight to get back over the the goal line. I mean, for them to get a a, 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 a scrum from there. You know, a five-yard scrum would have uh, would have put pressure on us again. So, like, it's it's incredible that over eighty minutes, you know, it, and you know, it's that it's that turnover from Ryan, it's it's Furlong getting back over for me it was important, even though he he was injured, you know, because he got a couple of big hits um, and allowed us exit. Jimmy O'Brien was able to get a good clearance because we had a left footer on the field, and then that final free or try, I've never seen someone do that you know I mean I, I thought we were, we'd blown our chance to be honest and um, it was only obviously TMO was able to pick it up clearly but normally when a team is getting hooshed into touch like that the ball dies with them uh, and a, and it was just a, a moment of real composure and, and the ability to keep his body height down and kind of fight against where the weight was coming from um, was massive but I think O'Connell and you know and Fogarty as well for, for, from a scrum point of view like we made we made it difficult. You know what I mean? We didn't always scrummage perfectly legally. Um, we changed our tactics, you know, frequently during the game at, at scrum point of view. And from a lineup point of view, there was an example where the box would have expected no one goes up in the air against the box five yards out, to be honest. You know what I mean? So if you look at the troll was slightly undercooked because, you know, there's no need to throw double tops because, you know, normally it's a free, it's a free jump there. And Ryan, as I said, come in from behind and it just was a nuisance. And I thought he had an unbelievable game. You know, we, we're talking about Joe McCarthy, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the, the Jason Jenkins type player and, you know, um, as a tight head lock. But I, I thought James Ryan, he mightn't be physically as big as Estebet um, or Ludi Agar, etc. But I, I thought he had an unbelievable 
um, productive game, and he's back towards his best. He had quite down a little bit, I thought, but uh, you know that that's the James Ryan of old, in my in my opinion. And Donald's obviously a specialist in that, but I'd love your your opinion on Donald. Yeah, look, I think by his own admission, he wasn't at the level that he had been over the past few years, and um, uh, you know, he came out, I think, prior to this game, and said, "Look, the concussion, the concussions that he had, it did sort of impact on his confidence." Yeah. But to be fair, uh, I'll go back. I was in New Zealand, Birch, for the three-test series, as you know. He was quiet in the first test, but he hadn't played games for a long period of time uh, coming into that. I thought in the second and third test in New Zealand, he was really back to his best. Uh, it was the James Ryan that we saw in 2018. And I, I, I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's been... People have kind of now developed this narrative around him. I think he came on as a sub in one of the uh, the Leinster games, and Jason Jenkins had had a big game, and and I can't was it uh, the Stormers came back into the game, and everyone was saying, "Oh, Jason Jenkins is a huge loss, and Ryan is a dub," which was rubbish, really. Um, but I thought when you're playing against the very best pack in the world, uh, I agree with you. I thought it was outstanding on Saturday. You could see. Um, when he got he he got annoyed, he got a bang on the head in in one of the games recently and reacted. Was it against Munster? I think. Um, yeah, it was so. Kenya Knox. Yeah, Kenya Knox. And people said, "Oh, geez, I heard people giving out about Ryan." Listen, if you take the number of bangs that he had to the head, I'd be annoyed if you felt somebody was targeting you. So, and it's good to see that age in him. Um, you know, I think that scrum calf, to be honest, it doesn't do a whole lot for him. I mean, he's a kind of a, an angelical looking fella at the best of times. But uh, look, it doesn't matter. You've got to perform. And I thought he was outstanding. Uh, in fact, you know, a tight burn by his high levels, I thought, um, wasn't quite at the same level as Ryan on the day. But um, uh, again, I mean, it amazes me how some of these players with little or no game time can get in. And it shows you the level of what they're doing in training and the way they're managed by their S&C people, that they can go in and play a test of that intensity with some of them with one game or two game and others like Hugo Keenan with no game. It's phenomenal, really. Yeah, we were chatting to Hugo Keenan afterwards and in fairness, he admitted he was absolutely floored after that match. But he didn't look it out of the pitch, you know. He, he, and Although, as Andy Farrell said about him last week, that he is just he's a freak athlete in general that he is like straight away. He is the fittest player on the team. No questions about it. Um, I might move on guys to the, to the squad depth, because I think this was a big part, not just of the South Africa game, but something we want to kind of see a lot of over the next few weeks and into the six nations as well with the world cup looming. So first up, you got no, no Bundyaki, no Robbie Henshaw, Stuart McCloskey finally gets his chance. And is probably playing the best game of his Irish career after 28 minutes when he gets an injury. And in comes Jimmy O'Brien for a debut into the centre where I think most of us would probably associate him with being a wing or a full back. And Bernard seemed to just fit in absolutely seamlessly. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. And he did his case for, for World Cup inclusion. Um, a lot of good because he is that utility player. He is that left footer. Um, and he looked really composed. It was interesting, about four years ago, uh, I used to see but before he went home I, I asked him oh, who's the one to watch and, and Jimmy O'Brien is a numerous past pupil but um, which is my old school but I, I didn't really know a huge amount to, about him and he said oh Jimmy O'Brien and I was so I've been kind of keeping an eye on him and, and in fairness it's only really in the last 12 months that he's got that regular game time and, and he's looked um, you know looked at, at home and he started to get Europe Champions Cup games for Leinster which if you get Champions Cup games for Leinster 
um on a on a reasonably regular basis it means you're you know um you're impressing leo and stewart and 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 you're a potential international but to come on you know in that game with the game the way it was and, and have to play a big role i think was testament to his uh, his temperament, um, because he, he's a, he's very talented for sure, and and a really good debut for him. Um, and then obviously I also want to mention Finney Bealham. I mean, yeah, I've I've been kind of you know uh, crossing my fingers that Ty Furlong would get sixty minutes, sixty five minutes, and and probably harshly really because when you watch Finney Bealham play for Connacht, um, you know when he's in the Connacht scrum, it's it's generally. Um, you know, more than uh, more than adequate or, or more than competitive, and Ireland trust him. Um, and I just thought he got through forty massive minutes as well. Uh, both in at set piece, but also uh, around the field. Obviously, McCluskey looked good when he was on. Um, you know, uh, look at Balakun gets a gets a, a a big game, and and you know we've all been clamoring for him to get some opportunities. So while obviously the you know the elephant in the room is Friday night, I think. In terms of depth, in terms of what we saw in New Zealand, in terms of the fellas we're talking, we just mentioned, um, there, you know, Keller to come back in, um, etc., uh, into the squad. I think we're we're starting to build enough depth. We don't need to have we need to have thirty five. You know, um, we don't need to have fifty. Yeah. I don't think at this stage. Yeah, like I said. Yeah, and I I I think that sorry, just following up on that and the Jimmy O'Brien scenario. I mean. I, I almost think, you know, if you want to create a narrative for Ireland this autumn, um, I think Andy Farrell sort of touched on something in one of his press conferences. He He's talking about no excuses. He's trying to develop this no excuse culture. So therefore, whatever happens, we get on with it. And when you had all this sort of trauma at the start of the New Zealand tour, I remember uh, I was staying in the same hotel in the first week in New Zealand and you had players going down with COVID, you had players going down injured and others were starting, players were slightly beginning to drop their heads and he was, this is brilliant. I remember talking to Johnny Sexton about this and he said, uh, Jesus, you know, we were getting worried. Mac Hansen had COVID, others were getting injured. You had the scenario where Michael Bent had to be drafted in. But like, uh, uh, Farrell was bouncing because this is exactly the point he was making, Les. This is what can happen in the morning of a World Cup quarterfinal. And therefore, we have to be able to learn to adapt. So therefore, you look at the Jimmy O'Brien scenario. He's in the squad to play against uh, New Zealand on the Friday. He is kind of, then all of a sudden, he's parachuted in. He's handed the number 23 shirt later on on Friday evening. He's watching the, the A match on the telly, or he could have been in the RDS for all I know. But... Um, if he thought he was coming on, and bear in mind he was uncapped, so he hasn't played at this level. So he comes in now after 27 minutes. He comes in for a fellow in McCluskey who's played out of his skin, as you rightly said, in that opening 27-minute period. You know, it's it's we've always spoken, going back to uh, Brian O'Driscoll's time, about the 13 being the most difficult area of the field to defend. You have a lot of decisions to make. Do you drift? Do you come in? your communication with your inside centre. Um, and we always talk about that midfield pairing. I mean, the Robbie Henshaw, uh, Gary Ringrose have been outstanding and unsurprisingly because they play together so often. So he's parachuted in, out of position, and he's outstanding. Um, and, you know, he again, you go back to New Zealand. Remember the first night in, in, um, in Hamilton, it was a really wet, dirty night, and he had a bit of his kicking game was was kind of out of shape. 
and he didn't get a chance really in the match day squad out there. So I would have said he'd have come back from New Zealand slightly disappointed. This is the first game since New Zealand. And now, uh, because of the, vers- the versatility that Birch is talking about, he's he must be nailed on to go to France next year. Um, and all you can do is step up to the mark when you're thrown in at the deep end. And that's exactly what he did. And I think that uh, that and the Bielham one, we saw um, Tyke Furlong, was, he went down injured right in front of our position mm. up in the commentary area. Uh, you saw him hobbling. He just about survived those scrums before half time. He hobbled on the touch, and you were, you know, you were talking at half time about the loss of um, of Furlong. I think uh, Bealham actually got penalised in the first scrum uh, at the start of the second half, but from there on in, he was absolutely outstanding, and that builds confidence within a group. You know, the next time he's put into that situation, and players see him running onto the field, they'll be. This is great. You know, we have a guy there that can do the job. And that's exactly what you want. Birch, on, on Bealham, and this is very much something that I'm asking as like, you know, someone who hasn't been involved in high-intensity situations or, or dressing rooms like that, whereas you definitely have. But would it have been a, an important thing for, for Bealham or the coaches as well that Tyke Furlong saw out those 90-odd seconds to half time so that if Finley Bealham's coming on, he has 15 minutes to to process everything and 15 minutes to to get himself set to come out at the start of the second half rather than togging straight off with 38 minutes and, and 30 seconds on the clock? Or is that is that completely overreading the situation? No, look, it's obviously helpful. It's obviously helpful to have had that chance to process it, but not so much for being able to be ready to scrum. It's actually to be able to talk to Dan Sheen, to be able to talk to Tyke Furlong and kind of get a feel for what what they were trying to do, what Kitchoff was doing, you know, what Malcolm, Mar- uh, what Marx was doing. Hmm. Um, and, you know, take that on board as well, because obviously Tig and, and, um, and Sheen, you know, they had to experience that, you know, in the game, you know, obviously you can do your video analysis, but you only really know, you know, what, what, what it feels like and, and what angles they're, they're really taking in it. So I think from that point of view, it was definitely beneficial. And I just thought, yeah, Dome's absolutely right. You get away the first penalty, but, Ireland just looked really composed and, and um, you know, didn't really show any emotion. It was, you know, poker face, next job, next scrum, next line on wall, etc. And, you know, even when all that pressure came and obviously the game was in the balance, I'm not saying we were comfortable by any matter of means, but you didn't feel Ireland were, were panicking. They were able to, you know, um, get down the field, get that penalty, they gave them a bit of a cushion and defended pretty well, you know, because um, New Zealand, South Africa did come at them they brought on Quagga Smith, who gave them another carrier. Uh, Willie Leroux gave them a second playmaker. Flaff was back to his best. So we they threw the kitchen sink at us. But yes, from a defensive point of view, um, I thought we looked reasonably composed. You know, apart obviously the um, you know, we conceded we conceded the score, but um, we were we we weren't rattled. And and look, that's 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 the advantage of being at the Viva as well and having a home crowd because at that stage they were the crowd were the atmosphere was good, but. Um, I suppose the challenge now is to is to be able to do this in the World Cup, you know, in a neutral venue. Yeah, but it all it also helps Birch hugely. Just going back to the scrum, go back to Bealham. Like Connacht had been down in South Africa at the start of the year. They played against the Stormers. Yeah. To be fair to the Malherba and Kitsaw feature regularly for the Stormers all throughout last season and indeed this season. You know, fellas like Etzebet are only kind of feeding back yeah. into the South African system now. So it's a huge plus. 
when you've actually been out there, you've faced them before, you know the little nuances, you know what they like to do. You have a lot more tape, you have a lot more kind of uh, information on them. And it's like, you know, we, we, we spoke about this a year and a half, two years ago, the benefits of the South African teams coming into the URC for us. And I think, um, you know, that was a contributory factor without question in terms of the way Ireland dealt with the issues that have caused them problems before up front. So it will be the benefit to us in the long run. Yeah, it's removed a bit of the a bit of the mystique around South Africa probably. <clears throat> totally, because it doesn't matter who you are. The Bulls, look at the you know, the 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 pact that the Bulls are able to throw. The 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 Sharks when the likes of Betsabet and, you know, uh Sayakalisi, Bombi and the Bonambi, they're all there, Ox and Che, they're all in the Sharks. I mean, it's phenomenal. Uh, Thomas Dutoit will be starting for the A-team against Munster on, uh, tomorrow night. Uh, that is the level of physicality that you've been exposed to uh, when you play against those sides. And it's it's a great learning curve for the younger players. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, I mean, we're, we're, we're beginning to see the benefit of it now. Birch, Fiji on Saturday, then team is going to be named tomorrow <laughs> as it normally is. Uh, picking up, just picking up on some some of the things during this week, you do get the feeling that Andy Farrell is actually going to make probably more changes than he normally would. Um, Johnny Sexton, for example, didn't do media <laughs> yesterday like he normally would. I think that's a pretty clear indication that he's going to be rested this weekend. Tyg Furlong obviously picked up his little ankle injury on, on Saturday evening. You'd imagine they're going to rest him up and try have him ready for, for Australia. Connor Murray's injury means Craig Casey, you would imagine, is going to come in at the very least onto a bench we're probably going to see quite a few more changes as well. Uh, is, is it possible we see something like Farrell almost trying out what the kind of the World Cup second team could look like? Yeah, I think so. I think that would be would be smart. I think. Look, I think I don't think Johnny would have played anyway, but apparently his leg was got uh, a good dead leg. Yeah, after that, yeah, the big dead leg. So you know, that would have made it uh, easy. But I, I actually, you know, I, I wouldn't be overly disappointed if, if Joey started against Australia as well you know I, I think we um that could be a great opportunity to let him start given the fact that look I'm sure Farrell when he was thinking about South Africa and thinking about changes you know I, I, I'd imagine his intention was for Joey to get longer than you know he got he got I think he got two minutes at the end but I, I totally understand how that unfolded with the game the way it was he didn't want to take off Sexton um, but I, I'd love to see him get a big chunk obviously he might get 60-70 this weekend against Fiji um and I I think it's important to reward those players who are obviously if Farrell is brilliant at building a squad and a squad mentality squad ethos you know a great place to be and even um I think he's got huge respect for his players and what they give and and they'll give it back to him uh, and I think this is an ideal week to do that doesn't mean Fiji or walkover by any manner means no. um they're actually becoming more structured and probably harder to beat uh, the discipline was poor against Scotland but. Um, Vern Cotter is starting to put some some structure around him. Um, and you know they have phenomenal athletes, fellas who are playing some of the best clubs in the world. So it's not an easy match by any manner means. But I do think this is a great chance to come out of November with everybody having felt they played a, a role in it. Um, because he'll have to go back as strong as possible. Maybe Bar Sexton. Um, for for Australia, just with a view to. Um, getting more depth in that position, uh, but maybe jo- Johnny will refuse to not play, and and, and Johnny will play. But uh, I would, yeah, I think it's a great chance to to, to turn the team around, and and um, maybe like Hugo Keenan might go again because 
he hadn't played. Um, he hadn't played for a while, but I, I, I would be looking at a good few changes. Yeah. Anyone in particular you'd be hoping to see come in, or who who you think will come in, Donald? Uh, I thought it was interesting to see Jack Crowley being the water boy on Saturday and uh, in the Aviva. Uh, uh, funny, I mean Jack. Jack is a very I I know him since his days in Bandon Bandon Grammar. Very confident young guy. Uh, was very frustrated at the lack of opportunities up to two months ago, and all of a sudden. That emerging Ireland team seems to have sort of changed everything for them. Uh, with uh, Kieran Frawley, obviously, got injured the other night. So I think there's a possibility Crowley could be on the bench. Mm. Um, Joey Carberry has to start. Um, so th- that'll be an interesting dynamic for me. Uh, the other one, too, interesting, you mentioned full-back. And um, Hugo Keenan has nailed on that jersey, you know, ever since Rob Carney retired. I don't think anybody has got a sniff in the 15 jersey. Like, he's nailed on for the World Cup. But I just wonder, uh, I accept that he needs game time and all that. I'd love to see someone like Mac Hansen get half an hour at full-back, just to see what he can do. I mean, he's such a brilliant broken field runner. Uh, maybe the last half hour of the match. I'd love to see something like that. Um, I think it's obvious, look, we saw Keen Healy and Finley Bielham were put out to the press yesterday. So I think they'll be starting. I think Treadwell may well get a start. Um, you look Jack at the Conan. back row, uh, I think Jack Conan and Timoney could well come in. Van der Fleer and Peter Amania could be rested. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's you do have to be careful. Fiji are a, are, are a different animal to what they were before. I mean, I looked at the side that played against Scotland. You see, obviously, the Fijian Drua are now playing as an entity in Super Rugby. So you have a massive amount of this squad who are playing against quality opposition week in, week out. They have an identity within that group, which is obviously Fijian-based. I think I looked at the starting team against Scotland. Five of them are with the Drua. Four of them play regularly in the Premiership in England. Five of them are in the top 14. And the other one was uh, uh, Mata, the number eight from Edinburgh, who's an outstanding player. And that's, uh, I'm not sure, but trust the story with uh, Semi Radradra. Is he injured at the moment or what? Because he is in their squad. Yeah, I think he's injured. I think he was injured for, he had a niggle for, for that game. Yeah, but I mean, they like they do have quality players outside of that. So, I mean, yeah. you do have to be careful. But look, this is the type of thing, like you've got to trust. Farrell has shown huge trust in the guys that he is in that sort of, his base squad, as I'd call it, of 35. This is the time to reward the trust that they've shown and uh, start them in these games. Um, you know, is McCluskey going to be fit? Is Robbie Henshaw, do you want him to get a game before Australia? Uh, Jimmy O'Brien, do you want to give him another run uh, 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 in the centre? Or James Hume, like, to be fair, we haven't spoke about the, uh, the, uh, the A game. I mean... Uh, that Ireland pack were beaten up so badly against New Zealand that fellas like Hugh never got an opportunity. He was somebody who had stood out a mile last year. Uh, maybe McCluskey and Hume, if, if McCluskey was fit, you could play that that Ulster combination in midfield. Uh, either way, everything that Farrell is doing is absolutely choreographed with the World Cup in mind. I mean, we spoke about you know the bravery of adding the Maori games to the New Zealand tour, but you'd also have it add in uh, playing New Zealand the night before South Africa is one thing. Having the senior squad take ownership of them 
less than 24 hours before the match and be actively involved in the build-up, be in the coaching box, that shows to those players, yeah, we're taking you seriously. Um, but it puts a massive ownership and work rate on the Irish management. So, I mean, I, I just, uh, I think Andy Farrell has been outstanding. His desire, his work rate, his uh, attention to detail. Look, I think he's learned, obviously, he was part of the England World Cup management setup that uh, failed to get out of their pool. Probably the biggest disappointment of his coaching career. He was then part of the Irish setup, a, a major part with Joe Schmidt in Japan, where everybody has now uh, put their hand up after the event and said, look, they didn't tweak the game properly in the year leading into the World Cup. So Farrell has that bank of knowledge, particularly in relation to a World Cup. And, uh, you know, you often hear coaches saying you, you learn more in defeat than victory. But he's had two World Cups, which wouldn't have ended in the way that he wanted. So I think he has taken every piece of the negative elements of those uh, two tournaments. And he's putting that into the preparation for next year. If we fail in France next year, it won't be for want of preparation from Andy Farrell's point of view. And you say, obviously, you learn more in uh, in defeat than, than in failure. There's a fair chance he learned a lot on Friday night at the RDS. Yeah, I think there was. Look, uh, I think for a lot of the, the young players on that side, yeah, a lot of them have been on a roller coaster ride. I mean, the provinces have done well. They went to a lot of them went to South Africa. They won the three games down there. Um, but this New Zealand team, it was a different animal in terms of the Maori team that you played down in New Zealand. Uh, they were also, and bear in mind the fact that New Zealand have lost a lot of games this year. A lot of those players were looking at an opportunity. A, a year out from a World Cup. They're playing against an Ireland team that beat them in a series down under. The game was live back in New Zealand. Uh, you had a, a, a pair of halfbacks in, in Perinara and uh, Damien McKenzie who had 118 New Zealand caps between them. I mean, I saw McKenzie played out half for the Maoris against the Lions in Rotorua in 2017, the day Peter Romani captained the Lions the week out from the first test. And it absolutely lashed down with rain. James Lowe was full back for the Maoris the same night. Mackenzie had a nightmare. Just the conditions and the quality of the Lions pack that day. Just uh, he had a nightmare. And I thought, well, and New Zealand uh, were experimenting at that time of having him as their third 10 or an option off the bench. It just didn't work that night. I'd say he couldn't believe his luck at the RDS Friday night. It was a magnificent evening. But... Um, uh, look, unfortunately, Ireland were found badly wanting. The one thing, if you're not, if you're not up for the physical battle in a game like that, you're going to be in trouble. And you know, we spoke about that being a key element in the game against South Africa. I thought at the breakdown, uh, Ireland were just blown away, and they never recovered from that. So, I mean, I, 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 I felt sorry for Casey and Frawley at halfback; they were in trouble. And one guy stood out for me. Uh, I thought your man Jamie Osborne, thirteen. Mm. Uh, he looked outstanding when he had opportunities early on. Physically, he's he's a he's a big man. Uh, Bert, you'd know more about him than I would, but I have to say I, I was really impressed with him because um, I know he's had some exposure with Leinster, but obviously not a huge amount given the quality that's ahead of him. But uh, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, he's a big, um, big physical player. Came through the youth system, Nace Rugby Club. Uh, got a got kind of fast track through the academy. 
that played for Leinster in his debut against Scarlet. So I remember he put in a big hit. He loves the physical side of it. I think that was the that was the thing that's that stood out to me as well, Donald, is that even though he was up against it, um, he tried to leave a mark on the game. And I think that's probably I think the backs in backs in general, I've excused them because the forwards are beaten up. Um, but I think there will be question marks. I'm sorry, not question marks because they're good players, but the forwards will regret because you know yourself, you can actually play well in a bad in a pack that are being beaten up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, you just need to roll up your sleeves and, and be physical and work hard. And, and we probably didn't do that, so but it's a, it's it's a it's one performance. Just some of those youngsters, um, have huge talent, and uh, I don't think uh, I, I'd imagine that when that fixture was scheduled. They didn't. Ireland wouldn't have expected the All Blacks to come as uh, as strong, you know, as as they did. But the, you know, if if you take that game and that performance, and then Saturday against Wales, I know Wales were poor, but um, you know, the All Blacks in turmoil, they, they ended up winning the Rugby Championship in the end, right? Obviously, losing to Ireland and losing to Argentina at home was is a black mark. But Jesus, in terms of physicality, um, they seem to have really stepped up, and and you know. Uh, things go quickly, but you certainly think if the All Blacks get the physicality right, they have the other yeah. parts of the game to, to <clears> do well. In, in yeah, well, the fellow who stood out for me for them, because uh, I, I know he played a bit with the, I think, the Crusaders during Super Rugby, the guy, uh, Damien Gardner, six. Yeah. Like, yeah. New Zealand, New Zealand have been struggling to replace Jerome Kaino uh, since he retired. Uh, you know, you've had loads of guys have had uh, Eric Uwoni was the kind of you, Shannon Frizzell, uh, oh God, Liam Squires, there was loads of them. But I thought this guy, he just bossed everything. Um, and I thought his work rate was phenomenal. So, I mean, I, I'd say he's a guy we might see a little bit more a year out from a World Cup. I'd be surprised if he doesn't make the breakthrough. On the, on the Irish side of things, like you mentioned, the forwards, if we're picking a one person, unfortunately, a it turned out to be a pretty damaging night for for Gavin Coombs, who just seemed to be get hit backwards every time he got the ball. It was almost as if he he played two decent games against the Maori during the summer, and it was almost as if his card was marked from the start yeah. of the game. And unfortunately for him, it's come at a cost because he's he's out of the senior squad now this week, and Max Deegan is <clears throat> promoted from the A group into the into you know that last remaining back row spot in the in the senior squad. Yeah, look, I think uh, look, Coombs, we all know what an explosive athlete he is, but I think he's got to learn uh, most of his work is done in the opposition 22. That's where you see him most. There's more to rugby than that. I think his work rate, if he wants to play at international level, he has to get on the ball more, and he also his work rate off the ball when the opposition have it. I mean, you don't you don't see him make him, like, given the physicality that he has, given the the raw power, He's not a guy who's been manufactured in a gym. He's just a naturally big man. You'd love to see him smashing fellas when they have the ball, driving fellas back in dominant tackles. And I think for him to raise his game to the next level, that's what he has to do. I mean, I would tell him, look, go away and watch the performance of that fella Gardner. Look at his work rate on both sides of the ball. That is what you've got to, um, that's what you've got to work towards. In some respects, do you know what? I'm kind of happy, I suppose, maybe from a Munster perspective because they're short and big men. But he'll have to front up in that South African game tomorrow night because South Africa have a huge uh, forward unit out there with Munster with so many injuries in the second row. I don't know. I've heard nothing about their team, but I wouldn't be surprised if he might be thrown into um, into action in the second row. Um, and in terms of if you want to place in the World Cup, 
that mightn't be a bad thing for him either because you know for a guy on a bench if you can cover back row and second row it just adds to your options from a squad perspective when you're heading to a world cup so listen i have a lot of time for gavin coombs uh, but I just there's times when you'd love to just catch him by the throat and shake him and say, "Come on, there's more in you," you know, um, uh, because he has it. There's no doubt about that. Down to the yeah. dressing room with you tomorrow night, Parky Cueve, Donald. You know, exactly. Yeah. Ten, ten minutes before get the in match. there, get him going. <laughs> well, speaking speaking of, we'll move on to that. Munster and South Africa game now because at the time of recording this we don't know what the teams are going well we don't know what the Munster team is going to be it'll be named a little bit later on today but just in general before we talk about the, the actual match itself Donald it's just a fantastic occasion like 41,000 plus sellout as as I saw one of my colleagues yesterday Tony Tighe mentioned the highest attendance ever for a, a a rugby game in Munster I would say more people claim to have been at the the All Blacks match in 1978 but yeah. um, there was only twelve thousand there. I was there myself. I stood on the terraces that day as a, one, a of young the, student. one of the seventy thousands. <laughs> one of the twelve thousand two hundred and ten who have the tickets. Uh, no, listen. There's 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 an incredible buzz around this game. Forty one thousand four hundred tickets sold in three days, which is incredible. Uh, I've never seen demand for tickets like it. I mean, uh, there was a time. When Ireland would play or Munster would play, where my phone would be hopping all the time, people looking for tickets. Uh, you know, that hasn't happened in recent years, but it's happened this time. Um, it is a sellout, and I've come across numerous people still scrambling for tickets. And here we are now, just over 24 hours out of the game, and um, uh, the tickets aren't to be had. The only little worry I have last night was beautiful evening down here. It's lovely today. Tomorrow the weather isn't great. I just want this to be a fantastic occasion, a fantastic spectacle. Uh, Parky Cueve, I mean, it's a special place for Cork people. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a GA background. I never played rugby until I went to secondary school. I remember, uh, I've, I'm old enough to have seen the three incarnations. I mean, Parky Cueve used to be the athletic grounds. Uh, I remember my father bringing me there as a an eight or a nine-year-old for Cork Kerry matches for county hurling championships between the Glen and the Bars. I remember one day, uh, Cork, my father was a Kerry man, Cork playing Kerry down in the park, and it was a horrible place. It was an old sort of corrugated Arden. You had the concrete seats, and uh, Mick O'Dwyer was playing for Kerry. Um, and uh, there was two Kerry fellas, Mick Leeson and Seamus Looney, Lord rest of were, were, were sent off. One for Cork, one for Kerry, and the two of them had to they had to walk down the sideline, and the crowd were baying for blood, and uh, they were booing uh, this guy Mick Gleeson who'd been sent off for Kerry. I think I was eight, and next to my father jumped up next to me, and he started clapping, "Well done, Mick Gleeson!" Clapping furiously. Jesus, I thought we were going to be killed. No, I didn't realise as an eight-year-old that uh, my father was actually an Irish heavyweight boxing champion. He had boxed for Ireland and I'm sure a lot of the people around him knew that. So I was in I was in safer hands than I thought. But um you know I was there that was that was in the old athletic grounds. I was the day the famous day the the first reincarnation Parky when Parky Keeve came along, Cork played Kerry in a monster football final. The crowds were so big that the gates were ripped off the hinges. The crowds ended up around the um sitting on the sidelines. In fact, it was a draw and they played again. So, I mean, it's, uh, and I was, you know, the, the, the new stadium, 
where we had all hoped that had been earmarked for a quarter final of the the Rugby World Cup, which obviously we didn't get the World Cup. Uh, but I was there the the Liam Miller Day, which was another kind of um um you know a poignant day in many ways, but an incredible day in that again sold out Manchester United there in raid. Um, so it's 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 symbolic. I mean, we like to think in Cork that we're um, you know, we've a massive interest in all sports. Um, you know, we've been successful at most of them, or so we like to think. Um, so it's a huge day from that point of view. Um, look, it's no secret there's there's been a bit of a disconnect between it. It's as if Limerick have taken over Munster Rugby. I know I've, I've there's a huge amount of Cork people that I meet who just don't go to Limerick anymore. They don't feel part of the Munster journey anymore. So for all kinds of reasons, I think having this game down here is huge. The only worry I have is that Munster are so depleted. Uh, I only saw this morning, the fact that that, uh, John Ryan has been released to play for the Barbarians. Uh, No, playing against South Africa, the one thing you want is somebody to anchor the scrum at tight head. But look, that's the one thing I'd hate is if we're not competitive. Do you know what I mean? You've got to get the crowd into the game. You've got to make an occasion of it. So therefore... You know, we have a history down here against the odds of standing up against touring teams. And that's part of our tradition. And that's something that this group has to stand up and be part of. So, um, I, you know, given all the injuries they have, I just have this slight little niggle worry, maybe. Yeah. And, and Bernard, like on that, on the, the actual match itself, like as great as the occasion, as big as a day is, it's going to be given the injury situation and the the, the run of form and you know the, the struggles with results if you were Graham Rowntree now would you be looking at this fixture going god I need this like a hole in the head or is it is it just to kind of pick me up the, the, the team would need like what's what would you be thinking as a coach no, I think it's a phenomenal opportunity and, and as, as Donald said you got to tap into the the legacy uh, um, of Munster of old against touring teams performing you know um, overperforming uh, you know uh, a lot of times and to go to Parky Cueve, which is, I just think it's a phenomenal. I was one of the the players looking up to playing Crow Park, and as from a GA background myself, that was that was special. And, and look, at I know things may open up in the future, but potentially Munster might be back in Parky Cueve for uh, a long time, or this group of players might never play there again. So they have to get excited by it. Whoever comes in, and they will, you know, it will be a case of mixed match because of injuries, because of fellas away with Ireland, but. Wow, like what an opportunity. And the Springbok A team are, are, are very strong. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you know, we, we mentioned uh Don mentioned Thomas de Troyes. you know, Johan Goosen is, is is playing at ten, you know, Corn Hendricks, uh Fassi the fullback is is exciting. Jason Van Wick. Jason Jenkins, yeah, Hank, you know, Henko Van Wick is a thirteen that a lot of people felt should have started ahead of um uh, Jesse Creel. Yeah, Je- the Creel, who actually had a very good game in fairness, but wasn't on form. So, but he's a youngster who's been going really well for the Lions. So, um, I, I, I think from a Graham Rowntree point of view, obviously the risk is is not being competitive and and maybe dint in confidence. But I think if they can throw a few, fire a few shots, and be competitive, the 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 good it'll do this team and this squad will is actually worth the risk. Donald, how do you feel? Yeah, about I, 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 yeah, I think exactly that. I mean, if they can fire a few shots, it, it, all it needs to be is a big tackle or a, a, a scrum penalty or a maul where they, they can drive the spring box back. The place will go berserk. I mean, uh, I, I haven't seen an interest in a game like this for a long time. 
Um, people are coming down, you know, monster people that I know coming down from Dublin, staying the night. Um, it's 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 incredible. Uh, there's a a lot of corporate activity around it that you know we just haven't seen. Uh, you know, I I, I know some fellow in the the monster branch was given out that uh, oh he says you're all talking about Cork. There was only four and a half thousand turned up. Uh, in Musgrave Park for the Munster Zebra game. I mean, come on, like, we get Zebra and we get the Dragons <laughs> down here. You go back, you look at the 20s when they come to Musgrave Park, you look at the women's team when they come down and play in the Six Nations, give us something to turn up for and to fight for and you'll see a reaction. And I think, um, you know, uh, you'll see that tomorrow night. There is... Like it's a very knowledgeable crowd. People know that Munster are under strength. They know that their backs are to the wall. Uh, but that that's the DNA of Munster. That was the old Anthony Foley, the chip on the shoulder. You know, we got to have a cause. Well, they have a cause tomorrow because if they don't get it right, then they could be in serious trouble. And I think the crowd will recognise that. As I say, I just hope uh, weather-wise that it's not a washout, that we get a decent evening and that... Um, Monster in terms of, of, you know, they do a good job in, in sort of generating the atmosphere around the game and all that. But um, I look, I can't wait. For me, it, it'll be the highlight of the November series. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Can't wait to head down. Bernard, are you going? No, no tickets. So I'll be, I'll be out of Dawn this afternoon. <laughs> too late. I beg to, beg to for training, but I'll be, um, I, I can't wait to watch it. Too. So I think it's, I think it's brilliant. It's brilliant to, to see being played there and hopefully it's a start in the future. You know, I'd love to see Munster get into a, mm. you know, a big European game and, and, you know, that, that needs a bigger crowd and, and being able to play there. It'd, it'd be brilliant for Cork and Cork rugby and, and uh, that part of, that part of Munster. Yeah, potential to open up uh, an, an, an enormous amount of doors in the future. Um, fellas, we'll leave it there for, for this evening. Munster against South Africa, as we say, tomorrow evening, 8 o'clock. Ireland against Fiji on Saturday afternoon at 1... Half 7. Half 7. Tomorrow half, night. Half se- I thought it was 8 o'clock. No, I think it's half 7. All right. Is, well. I well, I'll have to leave another couple of well, hours. I, no. <laughs> well, I, all I know is I have to be down there from 4 o'clock, so... Uh... <laughs> I think it's half seven. Well, listen, we'll leave it there for this week. There's those two matches coming up in the next few days and uh, we'll be back same time again next week in the RT Rugby Podcast. Donald Birch, thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Nice, nice. <laughs>